Welcome, First Friends Church family. Today, Pastor Nathaniel is leading us through our end of summer series titled Summer in Psalms. We are so glad to have you tuning in because here at First Friends Church, we live to glorify God together by loving Him, making disciples, and proclaiming the gospel. One of the best ways to strengthen our faith is by diving into the Word of God together during our Sunday gatherings. So if you don't have a church family, we would love to have you join us. All there is to know as you plan your visit can be found at firstfriends.org. Now let's go to our lead pastor, Nathaniel, with this week's message. I'm guessing that many, if not all of you, have heard of the concept of an all-inclusive vacation or an all-inclusive resort. A friend of mine in Brazil a few years ago had purchased an all-inclusive package to go to this amusement park in South Brazil. And I was actually quite impressed. I was dubious when he first told me about it, but after he made the trip and came back, I was quite impressed at how truly all-inclusive it was. I don't remember if it was three or four-day package, but it included everything um, from transportation from his home to the airport and then the flights and then the transportation from uh, the airport, the destination airport to the hotel and then daily transportation from the hotel to the amusement park and back as well as all meals. It was quite impressive. And once he had paid for the package, he didn't have to worry about any of the details from there on. When we read the first verse of Psalm 23, which we did last week, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. We see that the promise of the shepherd is all-inclusive. Now, it's not all-inclusive for everything that we may want, but it is all-inclusive for everything that we will ever need. Those who belong to this shepherd, the great shepherd, who can truthfully say, the Lord is my shepherd, will always have all that we need. All that we need physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. God's promise of provision is truly all-inclusive. Now, as we continue our series in Psalm 23 today, I want to begin by stating three reminders, sort of by a way of reviewing from last week. First, a reminder. Are you a sheep of the Lord's flock? That question is important. We talked about it last week because not all people are. So even though that statement sounds wonderful, the Lord is my shepherd, is He truly your shepherd? Have you repented of your sin and your rebellion against Him? Have you acknowledged your need of the shepherd, and have you then released your life into the hands of Jesus Christ, who died in your place? The second reminder is this. For those of you who do belong to his flock, he is your shepherd. That may seem repetitive and redundant, just like those two words I just used, repetitive and redundant. But listen to the difference. Julie is a wife. It's true. Julie is my wife. It's an entirely different statement. The Lord is a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Hear the increased and deepened intimacy. The third reminder is this. As I begin this sermon, remember and believe the promise of the shepherd, that if you belong to him, if you are submitting to his shepherding, in the holy now, you will never lack anything that you truly need when you need it. 
This psalm, as were all the psalms, was originally written in Hebrew. Hebrew is a language that depends for its communication primarily upon verbs. So the verbs drive the language. So I'm going to give you a short phrase and see if you can make sense of it. I car. It needs a verb. It needs at least one verb. What am I saying? I am a car. Uh, I, I'm going to the car, I drive the car, I own the car, I hate the car, I hit the car, I stole the car. Verbs are essential. The care and provision of the shepherd for his sheep in Psalm 23 is revealed through the verbs. So in the psalm, the shepherd variously makes, leads, restores, guides, is, comforts, prepares, and anoints. You don't have to remember all those this morning. I just wanted to give you a taste. So the way we're going to move through the rest of the Psalms today and then in the following four weeks is by focusing upon the verbs. Today we look at the two verbs in verse 2. The shepherd makes and the shepherd leads. I know that many of you, as I've said before, are very familiar with the Psalm. Perhaps you've memorized it. If you haven't, then I want to extend that invitation to you again that throughout this study that you would seek to memorize the psalm. And if you started last week, that means it's only one verse a week until we're done. Um, maybe you have previously memorized it, then I would encourage you to brush up, you know, polish up uh, your memory. And this morning, if you don't have a hard copy Bible with you and you'd like to borrow one so you can follow along, the ushers are coming back down the aisles now with some copies. If you raise your hand, they'll be glad to give you one. And as we say each week, too, if you don't own your own copy, please receive this one as a gift from us and take it to be your own. I'll be reading Psalm 23 again in its entirety, as I'll do each week, even though we read it last week as well. Psalm 23, Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's odd and noteworthy that the very first verb that describes the shepherd's care for the sheep is a forceful verb. It's something the shepherd causes the sheep to do that apparently they're unwilling or at least resistant to doing. And this is the verb makes. The shepherd makes the sheep do something. And what does he make them do? He makes them rest. That's a, a, maybe a, a strange thought that we would need, because yes, in this analogy, we are the sheep, that we would need an external force acting upon us to make 
us rest. The way the psalmist states this is that he, the shepherd, makes him lie down in green pastures. Now, because as far as I know, none of us are shepherds and none of us have pet sheep that I'm aware of, I may be wrong, none of us live in the ancient Near East, of this I'm certain, we need to research and unpack this concept. Sheep can be anxious animals. They start easily. They dart here and there, usually in a herd all together. One goes one direction, oftentimes the others follow. At uh, the camp in Brazil where we used to run our youth retreat every year, there was a, a flock of sheep that in theory remained within a certain fenced area, but in reality spent most of the time roaming around the camp randomly. And certain members of the youth group the boys, um, spent hours chasing the sheep down, trying to corral the sheep, trying to get the sheep into areas where the sheep were not supposed to go. That would be the girls' dorm. And, but it, and, and by the end of our, you know, three days there at the camp, these sheep were so skittish around any human being that as soon as one would approach, they would take off and run. Well, they learned, right? They learned their lesson. Sheep are not peaceful by nature. In the geographical region of ancient Israel, a flock of sheep would need to travel a significant distance each day as the shepherd took them to food and water. And as such, they also needed to rest intentionally to not be overworked or so they wouldn't become overexhausted. So the shepherd would lead the flock to a pasture. It's not like Northeast Ohio where just about anywhere you look, there's beautiful green. It's rare. And, and the shepherd would lead the flock to pastures that he knew, and then he would allow them to graze and eat. But after eating, it was time to rest. Often the sheep would be skittish and active, refusing to lie down. So the shepherd would move among the flock, actually physically forcing the sheep one by one with gentleness but firmness to lie down. Once they were forced to lie down, they would then embrace their need for rest, but not until the shepherd made them. Now, again, this is something I've read, and I've actually been told by someone who knows a fair amount about sheep, but I haven't seen it for myself, but I've been told that sheep do not naturally eat when they're lying down. So even if they're surrounded by all this green pasture, that's not when they would eat. They would eat standing up. Once they've lain down, then they stop eating. Now, how does this apply to us? First of all, isn't it comforting to know that our shepherd knows our desperate primal need for rest? I don't believe that there is a single person in this room right now or listening online that doesn't feel, even right now, the need for rest who says, man, I am so rested right now. I am just ready for anything that life has to send my way. And when I'm talking about rest, I'm talking about the rest of body, of soul, mind, spirit, our entire being. Because rest is something for which we deeply long and desperately need, but often resist. 
I may have shared this with you before, but I remember one day when both of our sons were, were very young. I'm guessing Micah was probably two, Ethan may have been four, five, but we had had a really long day. I think we, it was a Saturday. We'd been at birthday parties, and Micah's nap had been skipped, and both boys had eaten more good food than they should have, and um, they had run and played and been in a swimming pool, and they were absolutely wiped out. They were so tired that they were overtired, and we put them in their beds, and they would not settle. They were thrashing around, rolling over, they, and, and uh, Micah in particular was so jittery and nervous. They would not stop. They would not rest. Even though they, Julie and I knew that's what they really needed, they were over-exhausted. So I decided I would try something. I went in, and I remember reaching over Micah's crib, and he was lying there, and I just put my hands on his back and on his legs, and I held him there gently, sisters and brothers, gently, but firmly. I held him there so that he couldn't wiggle around and move. And I'm not exaggerating, within a minute, he was asleep. And far too often, the shepherd needs to come to us and make us lie down, make us rest. If we're not intentional about it, then that need is going to be met oftentimes in ways that we would not like or that we would not imagine. I've heard many stories of people who are totally stressed out. They're going, 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 working, 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 working. They get to vacation, and they immediately get sick and are wiped out for their whole vacation time. Why? Because they did not have rest, and so their body, the shepherd (laughs) through their body, tells them enough is enough. You're going to stop now. But we do need to consider the nature of rest. What is rest? Because in our context, in our society, we often confuse rest with entertainment or rest with things that we enjoy. They may be related, but it's not always a direct equivalence. Um, my the church administrator in Brazil, his name's Douglas, every day, every day when I would greet him, I'd say, how are you doing, Douglas? And he would say the same thing with the same voice. I need vacation. And it was a joke, but he was implying that it was based in, in this little seed of truth that he's always stressed out, always tired. I remember some kids, mine maybe included, who decided they were going to, they, they had a couple days off school, they were going to engage in a Star Wars marathon. You know, even the bad ones, even the lame movies, you know, and they did it. What a great, incredible accomplishment. Now, they didn't expend any energy, right? They didn't, you know, they, they weren't being super active. They weren't right, working really hard. But let me ask you a question. When that marathon ended, were they at rest? No. They were wiped out, completely wiped out. And we say, but that was something fun. That was, it was entertainment. It was just watching. That's true. But that's where we have to be able to understand and identify what is really, truly restful, restful to the soul and the body and the mind, not just something that's distracting. We often, uh, so, so those, those kids who, who did this whole, this whole Star Wars marathon, they were entertained. They were having fun. They weren't working. They had no responsibilities, but they were also definitely not resting. 
And we, can, we are the own worst saboteurs of our own rest. We sabotage our own rest. So we have days off, and um, I remember in college especially, you know, hey, the weekend, yes, I'm so tired. So what do we promptly do when the weekend comes and I'm so tired? Stay up all night. Um, it's logical, right? I've got homework I also need to do. Well, that's what Sunday night is for. And, and, and we push it off, and we're so just engaged in fun and, and entertainment, and then we're just constantly strung out in physical and emotional exhaustion. I also acknowledge that there are, there are, are times where it's, it's simply the reality of our lives that, that leaves us exhausted. You have uh, young, young children at home. That can be exhausting, and there's no way really to, to, to take a break. I understand that. But I bring these things up because true rest is both a gift from God, it's also a discipline. It's a choice which many of us rarely take. It's such, it, it's so primal, right? It's one of our fundamental needs. So much so that when God the shepherd set apart a people to be his, and I'm talking about the Old Testament, when he called Abram and from Abraham then created his people, the people of Israel, he forced them to rest one day in seven. And isn't it interesting? You, you know this if you're at all familiar with the Ten Commandments. The way that we live today is with nine commandments. Because we do ignore the Sabbath commandment. And there's a lot of ways and reasons that we can argue, you know, why? Well, Jesus didn't repeat it, and, you know, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, which is true. And that's the whole point. The Sabbath was made for the sheep because the sheep need it. So out of ten foundational commands, one that God gave us is the command to rest. The shepherd knows his sheep, and he knows our need. And for this reason, he makes his sheep lie down. He makes us rest. So here's a quick test. It, it's not a super objective test, but a test for examining our own activities and actions to, dis to discern if they're actually restful. Does it renew? Does it restore? When we have ended or completed it, do we feel re-energized or do we feel depleted? And understand that this isn't going to be the same for all people. This is for you to discern with your shepherd. And the other question is, am I regularly making this a discipline? God gives it to us as a rest, right? He says, I'm giving you, I'm giving you one day out of seven, one entire day, and I'm inviting you as a gift to rest. And we're like, I don't need that. I don't need it. I don't want it. Because there's many other things I'd rather do, but man, I'm so tired all the time. I can't figure out why I'm so wiped out. I can't figure out why I'm so stressed. I can't figure out why I just, oh, I feel so thin, not literally, but emotionally and, and, and spiritually. So let's not resist rest. Let's embrace it. It's a gift from the Lord, and let's make space for it. And I'll, I'll add one more, one more thing here. Rest can often be sacrifice. We, we have to actually sacrifice maybe certain activities um, at certain times so that we can rest. But this is the will of the shepherd. 
It's the love of the shepherd. It's the hands of the shepherd that make us lie down in the green pastures. The second verb in verse 2 is the verb leads. The shepherd leads. The verb lead has everything to do with trust. I know I've shared this story before, but guess what? I'm going to again. Um, Working in camp one summer in college, um, it was an exercise for us to learn the value of each member of a certain community, each member of the body. So each of us were given some kind of theoretical disability. So um, one of us uh, in the group didn't have any legs. Another was blind and couldn't see. Um, another didn't have arms. And I don't remember what the others were. One was unable to speak. And so we had to pretend that we had these limitations while accomplishing a particular task. It took about four hours. I was the blind one, so I was able to carry and hold and walk, but I couldn't see where I was going, so I constantly needed someone to lead me. Part of the task was to go to the lake, fill up a billy can with water, come back to a certain location, build a fire, light the fire, boil the water, and then each of us drink a portion of the water once it had been purified and boiled, and that was uh, the, the living water that would heal us all. So I was given the task uh, of holding one of the sticks through which the billy can handle had been passed, and so holding it, hanging it over the fire there. I was wearing some like nylon wind pants, and uh, so I was just sitting there. It was so boring. I didn't know what was going on. I couldn't see what was going on. I couldn't see anything. I'm just holding this can. And I suddenly feel something rather hot on my leg. And I got hotter and hotter, and I I wondered what it was. I started slapping at it, and I realized that a spark from the fire had landed on this nylon pants. It was melting it. It was on fire. And thanks, those of you in my group who could see, thanks for leading me, thanks for watching out for me, thanks for protecting me. So I yelped and screamed, and they helped me put it out eventually. But for the rest of that exercise, I was really jumpy. I had a very hard time trusting those who were leading me. The shepherd leads his sheep, and his sheep do not need to worry about their direction or where their next meal will come from or where they will rest or how they will spend their day or specifically when they will drink. The shepherd knows the sheep, he knows his plan, and he cares for them intimately. But this is where trust comes in. Because often we don't trust that the shepherd is leading us to the green pasture, or that the shepherd is leading us to quiet waters. And so we look off to the side, and we think that we can do a better job of getting what we need and of going where we need to go. We doubt the leadership of the, of, of the, the shepherd. We see the shepherd going in a particular direction. We look in that direction, we see storm clouds, and so we think, ah, no way, that's not right. I don't trust the shepherd. But the shepherd leads, and where does he lead? He leads to quiet waters. And to grasp this, we also have to understand simply how valuable water was in the ancient Near East. It's very difficult for us to understand that here in our current context, especially with all the rain we've had recently. 
just in a modern context, I mean, for, for ancient Israel, there's no, you know, just turn on the tap or, you know, you need to water your crops. Well, just, again, just open a valve. An overabundance of water. In the ancient Near East, water was life. Literally, it was life. All ancient civilization, um, those centers of civilization, were started with the first main question, is there a reliable fresh water source? And this is where the great shepherd leads his sheep. You know, when people come to me for counseling, um, you know what one of the most common questions that I'm asked? What is God's will? So maybe it's a, a, an internal struggle that the person is having. Maybe it's a career choice. There are two paths that lie open before them, and they, they are not sure which to take. What does God want me to do? Help me discern. Help me understand God's will. And that's a good question to ask. It's a wise question to ask. But it's often asked out of a state of great anxiety and worry. And I find myself there too. The sheep who belong to the flock of the Lord, of Jehovah, we don't need to worry And we need not be anxious because the shepherd does lead us and will lead us. I say this phrase often. One of my favorite verses, because there are many, but one of my favorite verses is Psalm 32, 8. And this was a verse that God used in me and in my family as we were discerning whether God was calling us to be here at First Friends Church with all of you. And we're like, Lord, I don't know. Is this what we should do? Should we not? And, and that some, that often that worry was born out of that anxiety of like, I don't know if I'm going to make the right choice. Psalm 32.8 says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. And I have taken comfort in that verse so many times. The shepherd will instruct me and teach me in the way that he wants me to go. He will not leave us leaderless. He will not lead us without guidance. Now, Psalm 32.9 is not nearly as pleasant as Psalm 32.8. Because following up this promise that the shepherd will instruct and teach us in the way we should go, the next verse says, do not be like the horse or mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. So the flip side of that promise is when you know where the shepherd is leading, if you intentionally resist it, or you intentionally try to go your own way, or you intentionally say, I'm going to wait and pray about it some more because I don't want to go that way, then you're being like the horse or the mule. And, you know, there are other names for mule. Um, That's what you're being like, and you're being resistant. Then don't expect the same confidence in leading because the, the, the shepherd has already led, the shepherd has already revealed, the shepherd has already guided, and it's our rebellion that keeps us or our fear that keeps us from following him. The shepherd will lead us. When we need to know his will and direction, he will not fail to reveal it. Now, in this context specifically, where does the shepherd lead the sheep? He leads them beside quiet waters. This could also be translated as quieted 
waters. Sheep are afraid of rushing water. So if they're brought to the edge of a river, a brook, or a stream that's running really fast, they won't drink. In these cases, the shepherd would wade into the shallow water a little bit upstream at the bank, and using rocks or wood or whatever materials he could find at hand, he would build sort of a, a little miniature dam just a, a few feet out into the water, but it would create a quieted pool of water downstream, immediately downstream from the dam, and then the sheep would come to that quieted pool and drink. So if making sheep lie down refers to rest, then leading them beside quiet waters refers to refreshment. And we think of that word refreshment, how do we picture that? That cool glass of water on a day that's so hot. Our mouths and our throats are so parched. Or, this is the one I prefer, the steaming cup of black coffee first thing on a frigid morning. The shepherd knows what we need when we need it and is faithful to provide it for his sheep to lead us into that. He brings refreshment. He leads us to that refreshment. A number of years ago, it was morning, I don't remember the particular day, but I do recall I was feeling very anxious. And I did something that um, rarely, if ever, refreshes. I got on Facebook. And um, I know for those of you who are under 30, I can explain to you what Facebook is some other time. I know it's totally and utterly passe, but I'm scrolling through Facebook, and again, it's not easing, it's not easing my anxiety at all. So I come to one post from a friend. There was no explanation. There was no context. It was just a verse of Scripture written out and posted. And that verse spoke the refreshment of the Father, of the shepherd, to me in that moment. I didn't deserve it. I wasn't seeking that refreshment where I should have been seeking it. But it came in an unexpected way, in an unexpected place. But I, I had no doubt at that moment it was the shepherd saying, you need quiet waters. Let me lead you there. Let me take you there. And I'll give you the refreshment you need. This was not coincidence and it wasn't happenstance. It was intentionally the act of the shepherd leading me beside quieted waters, refreshing me when I most needed it. So again, bringing this all around to September 3rd, 2023. Looking back, David, the Jewish man who wrote this psalm was the greatest king that ancient Israel ever had. But before he became a king, what was he? He was a shepherd. He was a shepherd of sheep. And he became a shepherd of people, a flock of people, of a nation. He spent hours, days, weeks, perhaps months alone with his father's sheep in the wilderness. And what was he doing? Leading them to good pasture. Leading them to good water. Making them rest protecting them, caring for them. We'll get to those verbs a little later on. All the care of the sheep was solely in David's hands. And he gives us some insight into how those experiences prepared him to be a king, to be a shepherd of people. But that previous life also gave him the revelation of how God, the great shepherd, 
Jehovah, the Almighty, cares for us, his sheep. And this, more than anything else, is what I want us to see, hear, and understand from this psalm, the care that God has for those who are his. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you really have repented of your rebellion against God, repented of your sin, submitted your life to him, received his forgiveness, accepted the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross in your place, then you are a sheep of the flock of Jehovah. In that case, you hang on to these promises with all your strength because they're true and they are for you. The great shepherd will supply all your needs. He will give you rest. He will give you refreshment. And he knows when and where and how you most need to receive it. But here's the caveat. These things are wonderful. But they come to us through surrender to the shepherd. In other words, if we're in rebellion, if we are not with the shepherd, if we are running our own way, if we as a sheep, and there, there's a lot of parables, a lot of analogies about lost sheep in Scripture, if we're one of those lost sheep who have run away on our own, seeking our own pleasures or because we're distracted or because we're not watching the shepherd, whatever it may be, then these promises don't apply to us. So this morning, specifically, the question that I ask and, and the invitation that I extend is to surrender, but it's surrendering to something that is so good. It's surrendering first to someone who is the shepherd, but then surrendering to what he wants to do, what he wants to give with, with that which with he wish that with which he wishes to bless us. And what is that in, just in this verse? Rest and refreshment. Surrender to the shepherd's invitation to rest. And again, why do I call that surrender? Because of what we talked about earlier, our resistance to rest, our desire to just simply go or to be distracted or to be entertained or to do things that are fun, which aren't bad or evil, but that also do not necessarily re-energize and resupply that source of rest from the shepherd. And it may be, I know this, this sounds ironic, it may be that, that the Holy Spirit convicts us and we say, okay, I need to repent for disregarding the gift of rest that the shepherd offers, that the shepherd ordains, for resisting you, Lord, when you would make me lie down, and I fight that, and I resist it, and I go my own way. And then surrendering to his, his leading, his guidance, where he's taking us. He's taking us, he's leading us to refreshment. He's leading us to still waters. He's leading us to good places. That doesn't mean the journey is easy or is always pleasant, but the destination is him. And the more we resist his revealed will, 
The more we say, yes, you'll instruct me and teach me in the way you should go, but I don't really want to go there, so I'm going to be like the horse or the, the mule, the horse or the donkey that have no understanding, and you're going to have to control me with a bit and bridle, which is a lot less present, pleasant and a lot more painful. So right now, accept and surrender to the rest and peace that comes from trusting the shepherd. Trusting Him to provide rest, trusting Him to provide refreshment, trusting Him to lead where we need to go for His glory and for our good. So we'll continue to worship in music. And as we do, the altars are open. And as you have need to simply come to the shepherd, to come to the shepherd whether it's for rest or refreshment or simply surrender to his leading, to his guiding, come. Come, making that symbolic movement to, to, to the altar with your body, even as it reflects what's going on in your heart as your heart comes to the shepherd. And if you want someone to join you and pray with you or over you at the altar, come to this side. Or if you prefer to pray and be with a shepherd alone, to worship on your own, you can come to this side and we'll respect you there, respect your wishes, we won't interrupt you. Let's stand together as we worship our shepherd. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. One way you can connect further with First Friends Church is through our website, firstfriends.org. There you can learn about our equip groups as well as our upcoming events for all ages. On Sundays, we gather at 9 and 10.30 a.m. and we'd love to see you there. Have a great week.